Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Yeah, this should be good. Let's get analytical on this bitch. Hell yeah. <laughs> That's the intro. We started with the intro for once. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> what a mitzvah. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Backstage Gaming, dramatic takes on your favorite games. I'm Chris. This is Dylan. And we're here to talk to you about video games and theater and put them together because we're actors and we're nerds, and that's what we do. Um, this is this the episode... only way I can consume media. Yeah. <laughs> uh, active <laughs> consumers. Uh, this episode, we're both very excited for. We've kind of been teasing it for a couple of, uh, couple of years, a couple of weeks. Yeah. Years long running a podcast. This, this game that has gaming. only been out for like nine months. Um, yeah, so we're going to be doing a deep dive scene analysis, not like a scene by scene breakdown, but analyzing individual scenes as actors of a recent game called Iconoclasts. Dylan, you fucked me up by saying this game has only been out for nine months. Holy shit, how long has this year been? This game came out in January. <laughs> 2018 has been eight decades long. It's It's been too long. <laughs> um, but anyway, we're going to be doing a deep dive. This game is rad. Uh, Iconoclast, it was the work largely of one dude uh, named Joaquin Sandberg over the course of what, like six or seven years? Yes. Also goes by Konjak. And it is incredible and hugely underrated. And so we're going to, for one thing, kind of boost this game. All 50 people that listen to this podcast will now know about it. Um, right. But also, it does a really good job of providing storytelling in really compelling beats, and it is one of the best text-based games. Like, there's no spoken dialogue in this game. All of the dialogue is delivered as text. But they do so much with the tempo and the way that the text is delivered to create performances out of that, uh, that it got both of us really excited, and we're going to sort of do a breakdown of a few key scenes in that game as actors looking at like, okay, if we were playing these roles, here's how we would prepare them. Here's the work that we would do to be yeah. able to do those performances. Um, how do you prepare for a scene, Chris? Well, before we get into that, I want to know how you are, Dylan. We further, uh, to, to part the curtain a little bit, we didn't record last week because last week was Thanksgiving week and I work at a grocery store. And so I worked, I think, a grand total of about 56 hours last week. Yeah. Wow. Oh, dang. Um, yeah, so Dylan was like, hey, when do you want to record? And I was like, I don't know, I'm free most evenings, but we'll see how I feel. And then I did not message because I was dead. And, yeah, that was perfectly fine. I kind of figured that would happen. Yeah. It also um, gave me another week to catch up on this game. Yeah. So. <laughs> but, yeah, how is uh, how are things in the land of Cleve? So the one thing about going back home and, like, leaving with, like, you know, family and high school friends that you still talk to is that when you're back home and it's the holidays 
everybody wants to hang out. <laughs> so um, Wednesday, I, I went over a friend's house to learn how to play this tabletop game called Scythe. Which oh, is, yo! Yeah, yeah. I wanted so badly to play that game. <laughs> it is really fun. We still haven't gone through an entire game. <laughs> it is a long game. And also, we were playing it late, and I was a little drunk the first time I played, so I was falling asleep. Yeah, for any of y'all who have no idea, I don't know how this game actually works. I just know that it's one of those board games that, like, the box weighs 67 pounds, which, like, always <laughs> gets me excited. Um. So, really good. Patrick, I'm sorry we have never played a full, up, like, a full session of it. <laughs> also, I hope you're listening to this, Patrick, because we're not friends anymore if you are. <laughs> this is a call-out tweet. Uh, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, so I did that on Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving. Thursday was Thanksgiving, so obviously I was occupied then. Friday was Friendsgiving, where I went over to a friend's house and we had the hot pots. Saturday, I played what was supposed to be my first full game of Scythe. <laughs> supposed to be. I went home at one o'clock. We were halfway through the game. <laughs> See, this is what I want. I want a game where it's like, <laughs> all right, everyone, clear your schedule for the next week. Yeah. Uh, Sunday, I caught up with an old friend from, like, kindergarten. Um, and then yesterday, Monday, uh, we actually saw the that uh, Overlord horror film. How is that? It looks either really good or, like, bad but in a campy fun way. A little bit of both, more so okay. the former than the latter. Um you know, it, it has its campy moments, but I think overall it was pretty effective, uh, especially that first third. Um, you know, you can you can make war look, like, gruesome, and you can make war look heroic, but I, I don't know if I can really say you can make war look terrifying. <laughs> um, I mean, of course you can make war look terrifying, but I, I guess, like, in the way that, like, a horror movie feels right. terrifying. Yeah, and meanwhile, I spent all of... Thanksgiving week, sprinting frantically around a Whole Foods with turkeys all over my body uh, to deliver them to very impatient shoppers. Oh, Be man. So, That's not good. But now it's done, and I just got the word uh, very recently that I am being transferred to the store that is five blocks away from my apartment rather hey, than the one that is across the city of Chicago from my apartment. So that's <laughs> going to be really nice. That's going to free up like 10 hours a week just there in commute go. time. So we need to talk, before we can get into the nitty gritty of this uh, breakdown, we need to talk about another bit of theater terminology. I've decided that I'm going to give this segment a nickname because we're probably going to be spending a fair amount of time in here. Uh, this segment is now going to be called Baby Drama, because that was the nickname for the intro theater class at the school that Dylan and I went to, and it makes me smile. <laughs> so we're buckle in for some baby drama. We have talked in the past about objectives, sort of both sorry, on a... Sorry, was that a, a lead-in for me? No, sorry. Okay, okay. <laughs> like, I thought it was for a second. I'm feel like, oh, free to interrupt it? me at any time. Of course. But yeah, so in previous episodes, we've talked about the idea of sort of the action of a story... Uh, we then talked about the idea of breaking that up into individual scenes with individual objectives within those scenes. Now we're going to go one level more granular, and now we're getting into the real meat of what an actor does. We're going to talk about tactics. There Surprise, are other terms. We've been prepping you to be actors all along. Yeah, that. Welcome to welcome to Dylan and Chris's correspondence school of theater. <laughs> um, that'll be eighty nine dollars. Oh no. Um. But 
so tactics again we've kind of talked about this before there are previous yes. there are uh different names for all of these things like most theater teaching is about the same stuff just from different angles and with different terminology uh tactics is the term that dylan and i use i've also heard these referred to as actions and what these are are the smallest most actionable thing that you are doing in the moment to get what you want um there's a book that I really need to get a copy of. They have it at like a bookstore down here that I really want that is called Actions, an actor's thesaurus. And it's literally just a thesaurus of only actionable, useful verbs. Most of the time when you're doing this work, you're trying to find a verb, something you can do that is going to make sense to you as an actor as something that you are doing to the other person on stage with you or on the camera with you to get them to do what you want. You now know everything there is to know about acting. <laughs> <laughs> we're like, hacks. Yeah, we're we're all all that actors are doing are making choices about what they're doing and why they're doing it. And like, obviously, there's a lot more to do it, to it than that. Obviously, there is a lot of work that goes into being able to make those choices, knowing what choices you can make are going to be fruitful and what are going to be organic, and then being able to change that on the fly when. It doesn't work with what your scene partner is doing. And, like, there's a whole world of nuance to it. But if you boil it down to its absolute brass tacks, the work of an actor is figuring out why am I doing the things that the script says I'm doing and what specifically am I doing on these lines? Like, if I'm saying this line, why am I saying it and what is the goal? of putting these lines together and these actions together. And then when you add on to that, things like performance and character choices and accents and physicality and like staging, you get art. And that's really cool. Like theater is a super fun thing to, I, I, I'm rambling now. Save me. <laughs> Throw me a life preserver, Dylan. Uh, okay. So yes, um, I, I was just going to mention that, um, you know, we're, we're talking about this, but like, this is something we have studied more or less for four years. So yeah, like studied you know, for this... four years and then worked with for, God, going Multiple on three years now. That. Holy shit! Oh God, we're old guys. Life after college is scary. Um, anyway, <laughs> start a uh, podcast. It makes it better. Let's 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 take this. <laughs> uh, let's put this in uh, co uh, context of video games. You had a really good example. Oh yeah, so this is a little ham-fisted, but for you gamers out there, what's up, oh, my God. gamers? Um, <laughs> let's take it old school. Let's look at when I was talking to you, Dylan. I said. The original Super Mario Brothers. Let's. I'm gonna tweak it a little bit. Let's talk about Mega Man. Oh wow! Mega Shaking Man is a great okay. like visualization of this in action because you have a clear goal. Your goal is to get to the end of the stage. As you progress towards that goal, you are going to encounter obstacles. In this metaphor, obstacles are the things that the other uh, characters are doing that work against your goal, or things about the circumstances of the show and of your character that are going to get in your way. And when you come to these. Uh, challenges, these obstacles, you have to change what you're doing. You have to change, you know, you're Mega Man, then you have to go into Cut Man to get through a certain area easier. Or maybe you're you're running low on your Cut Man health, so you switch over to uh, save me, Leaf Man. Good. That's not what he's uh, called. Air Man, whatever. Air uh, Thank you. I mean, like, Leaf you, Man. You, you're kind of applying uh, Metroidvania logic to Mega Man, but I, I, think, I think it still stands. Like, you know, this type of Robot Master requires you to use this weapon. You can use the Mega Buster, which is your default me weapon for people who don't play Mega Man, 
but that's not going to be as effective, and thus it is I, it is both going to A, take longer, and B, because it's taking longer, you are more likely to fail. So, essentially, you have an obstacle in front of you, and you need to select the right tool to uh, overcome that obstacle. Exactly. And the Thank Mega you Man... For... Ex- <laughs> Thank you for dragging me out oh, of my yeah. ramblings when I... No problem, no problem. Um, so... In Mario, for example, uh, what Chris was telling me before we started recording, way to shake up the script, but um, he uh, he was telling me, like, you know, the the first obstacle in Mario is the pipe that you have to jump over, so you have to learn how to jump. And then after that, you run into a Goomba, which can kill you, so you need to learn to either A, avoid the Goomba, or B, kill the Goomba. And... You know, then later obstacles are like, here's a piranha plant, or here's a bottomless pit. And so you are basically looking at all these different obstacles and finding ways around them to get to the the flag at the end of the level. Yeah, the, the reason I audibled into Mega Man was I felt like it had a better example of, like, switching up your tactics, switching between the different uh, characters. But the point stands. Like, there's our ham-fisted attempt to slap this onto video games. Yeah. But what does this mean for characters, Chris? It means a lot. Dylan had a really good example. We we spent an embarrassingly long amount of time before we started recording trying to uh, come up with like a good scene that we could point to with f- a fair amount of confidence that anyone in our audience would at least have a familiarity with it. Yeah. Uh, that also did a good job of exa- of providing clear examples of this kind of interplay between uh, scene objectives and tactics. And Dylan so came up me... with yeah, Dylan came up with a really good one. You give us the uh, the lowdown on this, my dude. So I, this still isn't like the perfect scene, but I feel like enough people have seen Toy Story. I think it is universal enough for our generation and our parents to like anyone who is casually listening should know or might be familiar with it at least. So in my mind, there is the scene where it's right before Buzz and Woody leave Sid's house. The, uh, it is nighttime. Buzz has a rocket strapped to his uh, his self, and Woody is stuck under a box that he's not strong enough to lift over himself. Buzz can help, but he is currently going through an existential crisis because he has learned that he is a not a space ranger, and no, no, that that's like the big thing. He's not a space ranger. Uh, he is a toy. He is a child's plaything, and so he's kind of moping in the corner. And Woody is ultimately like, Buzz, I need you to get this thing off me. Andy's moving tomorrow. We have to join him. And Buzz basically says, why? Like, why should I want to be a child's plaything? And so the obstacle here is both the physical obstacle of Woody trying to lift this box off of himself so he can get out of Sid's house. Sid's a psychopath. Um, And then there is the character obstacle where he needs Buzz's help and he needs Buzz to get out of his existential funk. And so the tactics that Woody uses through these scenes are things like he apply he appeals to Buzz's logic. He wants I know that's not like an acting verb, but essentially he's, he's, he's trying to reason Yeah, he, he's yeah. trying to reason with Buzz and be like, well, you know, I can't get back to Andy's place if it's like this. And then he has to tell Buzz that being a toy is cool. So he's he's kind of praising Buzz. He he wants Buzz to feel good about being a toy. 
And I think what ultimately gets Buzz to help Woody in that scene is that Woody says, like, you're too cool. Like, I am nothing compared to you. And I think it's that show of humility that Woody has not shown throughout the entire movie. It is that show of humility that gets Buzz to ultimately help Woody out. Because it's not just Woody saving his own skin. Woody wants to help both of them. And I think that is the vulnerability that Woody needs to show that ultimately gets Buzz to help him out. And that's how we end that scene. And what I love about this scene is that it touches on something very important that is not easy to get across without a good example like this. There's always multiple objectives. Every It's not just like, oh, this is the objective of the scene. It's no, that's the objective of this character in the scene. So in this scene, yeah. Woody has a very clear objective. Get this box off me. I need Buzz to help me get this box off me so that we can escape. Buzz, right. even though he spends so much of that scene just kind of moping, he has an objective through all of that. It's harder to get to. Like, that's a really hard kind of scene to parse. But if you look at what finally gets him out of it, well... He decides to start helping once Woody humbles himself. Maybe that's what he wanted the whole time. He wanted to know that Woody cared about something other than just him. He wanted to know that, like, if I had to dissect it and, like, you know, I'm not Tim Allen. Right. Uh, but if I had to dissect it, I might have chosen something like, I want to know that Woody cares. Because up to that point, Woody hasn't shown that he gives a shit about anyone. And so... Not only does Woody have that clear objective that then is reached when Buzz decides to help him, that only happens because Buzz gets what he wants and has that moment of recognition, like we talked about before, the recognition reversal. There's a really good one for Buzz in this scene. He realizes that somebody gives a shit about him, genuinely, even though he's just a toy, and that lets him get past himself and move on to help. So now, Iconoclasts. Yes. This game is rad as hell, you guys. <laughs> like, honestly, <laughs> it's a hard game to describe because it's kind of like a Metroidvania game. Um, uh, kind Joaquin of. Sandberg has name-dropped, I think it's called, uh, like, Monster Boy 4 or something like that. Uh, <laughs> it It is a Japan-only... So, it is a series that has come to America, but, like, the fourth game specifically was Japan-only, but he played, like, a translated version of that game. And it is one of his favorite games ever. And so Iconoclast is kind of that. And I know because no one else has played this game, uh, it's kind of like a 2D Zelda-like with like block pushing and platforming puzzles. It is much more linear than uh, Metroidvania, for anyone who doesn't know, describes a genre of games uh, inspired by or riffing on the, the gameplay tropes of the old-school 2D Metroid games, and Castlevania Symphony of the Night, both of which involve kind of big, sprawling worlds, big, sprawling level areas that you have to explore around, and you'll frequently come to dead ends that you need to go get a tool from a different area of the level to go back and open up those dead ends. Um, And there's a little bit of that to Iconoclast, but it is also a much more straightforward, linear game in terms of story and in terms of progression. You have a much smaller toolkit in Iconoclast. Uh, yeah. A lot, a huge point of the game's design is more the different situations that you need to use your tools. Yeah, and putting the tools together in different ways. Um, and so as you go, you know, you you play as Robin, who is a silent protagonist, and uh, ostensibly, well, 
we can kind of get into that with the uh, the first scene that we're gonna do. So we're gonna we're gonna act for you kids today. I we, hope uh, it's not awful. It probably won't be. I hope. Uh, we went through <laughs> and transcribed uh, a few different scenes. We're gonna do three of them up front, and then. There are two others that we're going to do sort of after the fact that are a little bit more in the spoiler territory. So if we hook you on this game concept and you want to find out and you care about spoilers, we'll, you know, we'll make a clear cutoff point before we get to those for you. Um, yeah. But the first scene, uh, like I said, Robin is a silent protagonist. So this first scene is these two characters that Dylan and I are going to voice, Agent Black and Agent White, who belong to an organization called The One Concern. Essentially, they they represent the theocracy of the world of Iconoclast. Yeah. Uh Another thing about Iconoclast, there is a lot of world building going on, but it is very tangential and it doesn't really care if you get it. Uh, like, that sounds different than I mean it, but, like, the game is written very much holistically, so a lot of characters will talk about things very matter-of-factly that don't mean anything to the player, but they are things that the characters of the world would mean, and as the game goes on, you kind of start to piece together what all of that actually means in this universe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they are, black and white are two of the antagonists of the game, and they show up very early to accost our, uh, our main character, Robin, and, uh, Dylan's gonna voice black, I'm gonna voice white, and we're gonna do a little acting for y'all, because why not? It's six episodes in, let's put the cards on the table. Well, let's see, let's see how great this is. <laughs> <laughs> so, Robin... Robin starts and does, like, the first level after exiting her house. And when you go back to her house, it's a hard cut to this scene. Just for your context. Yeah. Oh, yay. She's here. I am Agent Black, and this is my partner, Agent White. Now, let's see here. Citizen file. Name, Robin. Age 17. Status, Soul House Resident. No assigned occupation. Daughter of Polro, mechanic for the concern who died two months ago, leaving his daughter living alone. Well, that's your backstory out of the way. Time to get a job, right? Rumors circulate the air. They whisper that the mechanic's daughter may be picking up his wrench. Could there be truth to the most horrid of accusations? Liar! We've heard things. Ugh, my head. <clears throat> Well, anyway, reports on Polro's death say he was killed by some unfortunate accident. Well, assets can be replaced. Question is, what thing could be passed down to his little darling? What could she do with it? Perhaps she's been running around, fixing the mechanical problems of poor people in the village, like a little heroine of handiwork. There's already been a lot of penance in that settlement. Might you not say you could be part of the reason? Liar! I know your type. <sighs> anyway, private practice is a sin, and a private mechanic far worse. Sinners need to be punished. He, the Almighty, dislikes secrets, and ivory fuel should not be touched by improper hands, like the hands of a mechanic. If we all just choose our profession, nothing in this world would ever get done. He just wants balance, my dear. But... We didn't find any tools around this house. And you only seem to be carrying that tiny excuse for a stun gun. I'm not in the mood for hunting contraband. But Settlement 17 has been needing a lot less repairs lately. Somebody is twisting some nuts. Harlot! White, shut up. Hmm. Something bigger has come to. He's been spotted. Let's go, White. 
We're going to have to leave little Robin to her own devices for the hour. Let's hope she waits patiently here. She still has a date with fate. So yeah, there's a lot going on to that scene. Um, yeah. But it's also a really fun scene. There's a lot done. Like I said, this game is all text. There's no voiceover. Um, but they do a lot with the animation and with the way that the text is presented, where every time White, the character I was voicing, butts in, you don't actually control like hitting the button to bring up the next text screen. It finishes Black's line, and then White not only is interrupting her, but is interrupting you, the player, as he, like, lunges forward and points at Robin. Uh, it's very funny. <laughs> there's there's a lot of really good timing things. Um, and I, I've played other games that do that. For example, I think a lot of the Mario RPGs... Oh, yeah, the, the Mario RPGs and the that... Paper Mario games do a lot with that. Um, this game honestly reminds me a lot of Paper Mario and the Thousand Year Door, which is another of my favorite games of all time. But, yeah, so that scene... One of the things I love about it is it does a really good job of presenting a lot of backstory without feeling like an exposition dump. All of the hard exposition is written, is literally a case file that is read by the character, and then she's like, all right, we're done with that shit. <laughs> um, but Black has a very firm objective in this. She has been told that there is reason to believe that the character, Robin, is breaking the law. She is fixing things which in this world is not allowed. There are people who do that and doing it on your own ain't cool. Yeah. Um, and you, so you have oh, to have a government sanctioned job in the world of iconoclasts. And if you deviate from that, that is punished by penance, which is divine like literally a lightning bolt struck down by God. Yeah. Which again, you're getting all this exposition that you don't you know, as you're playing it the first time, you don't really know this is, like, it. you can tell it's exposition, but it's not being delivered in a way that's like, here's what you need to know as a player. It's like, it's all in the language that these characters would use talking to each other, which I think is really cool. But then what I love is you look at Black's lines, and you can see all these different tactics that she's using. Like, she starts out, you know, rumors circulate in the air. They whisper that the mechanic's daughter may be picking up his wrench. It's very, like, you know... People are saying these things. What do you think? But then it <laughs> you goes don't think all there's it goes, any truth to them. Yeah, it goes from that to things like, um, this is a sin. Yeah, private and practice only, is a sin, and a private mechanic far worse. Sinners need to be punished. It's not bad enough that you are doing this privately. That you have picked one of the worst occupations to do. Come clean. Yeah. Maybe things won't be so bad for you. And then she comes around to something like, if we all just, like, he just wants balance. Like, tell me. She's she's reaching out. She's trying to open Robin up. And, of course, Robin is a silent protagonist, so she doesn't say anything <laughs> back. <laughs> but you can see all of these different, like, ways that Black is trying to get what she wants, which if I were breaking down the scene, I would probably say, like, if I'm playing Black, my objective, I want Robin to tell me anything i i want her to either say that she is not doing this thing in which case you know maybe in that in a version of the scene where she does that black has some proof that she busts out and is like ah you're lying to me and i know it and now you're in trouble or i want her to confess i think i would probably just simplify that to like i want robin to confess this crime to me something like that yeah um and so then, I can get on doing my job and not 
taking this these dumb diversions. Exactly. And then yeah. once you come up with that as an actor, you go back and you find all of the different lines and in those lines, all right, how am I going to deliver this line? What is my action? What is my tactic on this line? And where does where does that tactic change? And then to go even further, like if there was if this was an actual play and I had someone that I was playing opposite as Robin, I would be like, okay, what about that performance is causing that switch in tactics? It's all about getting things as specific and as granular as possible. going to jump forward a little bit. This next scene is between Elro, Robin's older brother, who is... Uh, I don't think I can really give any substantial detail on Elro without entering into spoiler territory. Um, all right, so essentially... Yeah. Uh... You know, because in essence, this game is the hijinks of Robin as she is avoiding the uh, the name of uh, the theocracy is the one concern. And she's she's basically avoiding the government. She's like become an outlaw now. Um, And her and her brother Elro are in hiding. And so they are all each other has left. Um, Other members of their family have been. You're right, this is hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, essentially, Elro and Mina are, are recently orphans. Yes. Um, they are adults, I think. Well, Robin's 17, as was said in that last scene. Robin is out both on the run from the government, but also like trying to help people and trying to figure out things that are going on. And Elro's stance is much more like, I am going to stay out of this. I am going to stay in hiding. All I care about is that my sister and I are safe. Yeah. Meanwhile, Mina is a uh, party member character. She is a pirate, I think is what her people are referred to as. They are referred to as pirates, yes. Um, But she is part of a society that lives outside of the dominion of the One Concern, and she is traveling with Mina, or with, with Robin. They left the pirate settlement because they were trying to find somebody who stole... Somebody stole something, I think. Oh, no, uh, her... Mina's lover got kidnapped. That's right. And so they're trying to track her down uh, and save her from the one concern. And this scene happens right after you encounter Elro for the first time in the game. And he and Mina are having a conversation while they wait for Robin to show up. Yeah. And now we're going to act for you again. Uh, Hi, I'm Chris Wilson, and I will be playing the part of Elro. Hi, I'm Dylan, and I'll be playing Mina. Welcome to Backstage Gaming ASMR. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that really gotcha. I don't know why. ASMR's funny to me, man. <laughs> All right, anyway. I think it's specifically the voice you were doing it in. <laughs> this, like, kind of... Like, oh, hi. Kind of kind of Owen Wilson, but, like, if he was forced through Owen a Owen Wilson ASMR. Owen yeah, Wil- exactly. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do the damn thing. I'm justified, aren't I? Yeah, I okay, know you're anyway. fair. <laughs> so, knowing what happened to me and Robin, you understand that I have to take her with me so we can hide. Don't be treating her like a baby, man. You don't know the things she's had to deal with. Her father just died. Don't be stupid about it. You don't know her. You told me she was helping you with machinery and you got caught? That's enough to off people here, huh? Agents are going to follow that scripture. But this particular agent wanted me. Robin knows this? She shouldn't see or hear more things that will upset her. She needs calm. If I were her, I'd think I was fully responsible then. This is not your business. 
Robin has strong reactions to bad things. I can tell. She'll avoid hearing it. She doesn't talk much anymore. It's none of my business, but you're telling me all of her business? So what the hell did you do in all this? Robin enters. Hey, Sunflower. Pontus get home okay? I've been hanging around Blockrock, looking through the remains of my house at night. Found my vintage sword, but it's broken. Pontus saw me once and began to seek me out, wanting to talk to me about my daughter. She and Pontus were very close friends, and I'm sure he misses her too. Guess he found someone else to follow around tonight, though. Whoever he was. Looked like a Concern HQ armor, piloted by an idiot. Why are you guys here? If Robin managed to get to your place, why didn't you stay in hiding there? Me and her are going to take out this runaway agent that ran off with someone. I don't feel I can condone that. Robin, you should really stay somewhere safe now. I don't want to see more family get hurt, Sunflower. I refuse to help you in anything that's guaranteed to get you hurt. Just stay with me now, and we'll find somewhere to hide tomorrow, okay? You don't have any faith in this girl's skills, do you? I have all faith in you, Robin, but you can also be... too kind. Righteousness doesn't make you invincible. And Mina, you probably need to know your boundaries. Thanks, teacher. Hey! Alright. This scene is fun. It's, again, yeah. very clear opposing objectives. That's so what I was... makes drama. <laughs> so I was reading the scene live, and I, I realized, like, oh, I could have hit that objective harder, or this and that as I was reading. Oh, but... yeah, same. I, I did not... <laughs> we... Follow me behind the curtain. Uh, we divvied up who was going to read these scenes right before we started recording, because life is hard and we need to get these episodes recorded. But that's also kind of fun because that's what rehearsal's for. Like, we, you come into a, a rehearsal, you've done your homework, you've gone through the scenes, you've figured out, like, I think this objective is good, and I think these tactics are good. And then you get up on stage and you start doing it out loud, and you're like, wow, that didn't feel very good at all. And then you revise and you figure out yeah. what's going to actually work. Um Dylan, what's your motivation? I want... It's less I want Elro to approve of Robin going with me. I think it's more that I want Elro not to convince Robin that she should stay with him. Yeah, I think that's fair. Like um, you, the, the scene after Robin enters becomes very much about Robin, I think. Yeah. Like, once she comes in, both... Actually, I'm not even sure if that's true. Elro becomes about Robin. Elro's very much like... In the scene with Mina, he's trying... He wants Mina to back the fuck off. He wants Mina to yeah. essentially go back where she came from. The scene um, starts with him saying, you know what happened to the two of us. You know I have to take her with me, and we should go into hiding. Yeah. And then the moment Robin enters, Elro goes, everything else is to Robin. Or every, Yeah, she. He's, yes. he's trying to convince her through all of these different ways, like he points out just like he's been having to be in hiding. He's sneaking through the rubble of his home. Uh, he's trying to convince her that it, it's the best for the best for her to stay in hiding. He's trying to kind of, you know, it almost feels like I'm trying to intimidate her at points. Like righteousness doesn't make you invincible. Like you're going to get yeah. hurt out there. Yeah. So there's a lot going on there, but it's all in service of Robin. Whereas Mina to uh to open the baby drama board door back up so you can just hear like the frantic yellings of the theater teacher coming out of it uh <laughs> objectives are best when they are in terms of another character 
They are, yes. And more than that, they are best when they are in terms of getting the other character to do something visibly. Like, yes. like in the Toy Story scene we used earlier. Uh, Woody's objective being, I want Buzz to feel better. Like, I want Buzz to stop moping or, like, to, to feel loved. Yes, that's true, but that's not visible. Like, you can't see that as an audience member. So the much stronger objective is, I want Buzz to get off his lazy ass and get this toolbox off of me. With that in mind, I think, I I, I would say Mina would, her objective would either be, I want Elro to come with us, or I want Elro to leave. Yeah, I think that that's fair. Or at the very least, I want Elro to stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Let's bounce forward a little bit more. Uh, this next scene is a little later in the game. Uh, there is another character that is introduced. His name is Royal. He is a prince of intents, sorts. He, for all intents and purposes, he is the next prophet of the One Concern. There is, they are led by a character that is referred to as Mother, who is like, you know, a messianic figure of sorts. And then Prophet is the next in line for that or Prophet Royal is the next in line for that position. And you encounter him early on. He's very much like kind of a spoiled brat uh in a lot of your interactions with him yeah later on you have there is a scene right before a boss fight with agent black back from season one in which <laughs> it takes place in a room full of this it's like some sort of magic dust it's a MacGuffin. um yeah. i don't think it's ever explained where it comes from further step back the magic in this world is the result of something that is referred to as ivory fuel uh and you find out over the course of playing the game that Royal and the other people that you see perform like acts of magic have been infused like with miracles. ivory. Yeah, like they have had ivory like put into their being, which gives them access to Royal performs like miracles of like making flowers grow, and you see Black perform feats of superhuman strength and like things like that. This scene takes place in a room full of this substance that neutralizes ivory, so there is no Neither power. of them have any powers. No power in this room. And Royal is trying to get through this room, and Black is sitting there as he comes in. And uh, Black has just had, like, a major tragedy happen where, like, there's a lot of political nonsense going on that would take too long to get into, but Black has found herself... Ordered to not let Royal see Mother. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so here we go. Agent, I am passing through. I am taking the train to go see Mother, as is my right. Right. I'm going. No. No. You're not going anywhere. Nobody will do anything more, and that is simply that. I'm sorry, but I must insist on seeing Mother. She and I had need to discuss- Nobody wants to see you, especially Mother. I think I'd rather hear that from Mother. You're a sheltered child. You don't know rejection. The world will die within days because of you. You are now the antithesis of everything you hope to be. What are you talking about? You were attacking something that was locked away for a good reason. How would you rule, Royal? When was the last time you could feel for another person? You are a faultless production. Never had discomfort, never had true misery. You could never relate to people. You're beyond change. 
Even the suits manage to see you as divine, even after they are the ones who established any law. It's depressing. Magical thinking will live on as long as the alternative is terrifying. You, like so many others, must be terrified of this room. You and me are tied by our lives to ivory. There is no ivory in this room. None. Does it frighten you? It should. I'd call you brave for confronting me if this wasn't the only way to the trains. In here, you are just a spindly, weak boy. Black advances on Royal. You know what real humans feel? Fear. Is that what you're finally feeling? Does it make you feel sick? Step away from me, Agent. Words don't change people. Wounds do. You're a boy. Let me make you a man. Black slugs Royal to the ground, tackles him. I may have been handed a purpose, same as you, but it's all I got. I've lived my divine life with an endless headache. At this point, I've forgotten if it's a side effect of the ivory infusion, or if it's fearing the endless stream of people tearing my mind apart. Surely he would have a higher purpose for you than to die here in the dirt. Stop me, Royal. Royal tries pitifully to push Black away. You can't? No healing either? Welcome to the world of fear. You are finally human. Black strikes. Royal lies still. I love this scene. It's so good, dude. This scene Black is, is so such good. a cool character. Um, <laughs> this is another scene where there's a lot of cool stuff done with like interruptions in the text. It's really, really creative. But what I love about this scene is it's a f- perfect example of something that is makes a lot of sense, but is still hard to convince yourself of and hard to like stop yourself from thinking about, which is any scene that ends in a death is always about more than killing. Because yeah. if Black's objective in this scene was to kill Royal... She would just do it. There wouldn't be a scene. Royal would walk in, Black would go, cool, and kill him. Like... Omaewa. Exactly. He would, he would already be dead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, should we delete that? I'm no, sorry, people. No, <laughs> I love it. I love it. But there's a whole scene here before Black kills Royal. So that can't be her objective. And scenes like this are always hard to get to because it's hard to get past that very obvious endpoint. Yeah. But something has to happen that lets her kill Royal. Something has to happen to make her kill Royal at the end of this scene. And I talked about this a little bit in one of the episodes um, where I talked about working backwards. I don't remember exactly which one. Oh, Um, yeah, I remember. Uh, No, I don't think it was Uncharted. uh, No. Which, what... Regardless, this is one of those circumstances where that technique, at least for me, is very helpful because if we're looking, if we accept the premise that her objective can't just be to kill Royal or she would have done that at the start, then, obviously, she either got her objective or realized she wasn't going to get her objective right before she kills Royal because then she kills him. And so if we look there, what happens right before she kills him, she even says, Stop me. Right. She wants Royal to be more than she thinks he is, is I think the best way. She wants Royal to show her in some way, and this is not the best objective because if I was preparing this, I would try to find something much more specific. But Yeah, uh, actors take a lot of the time looking at scenes and trying to actually write down, in a, not write down literally, but like 
form a sentence that is, this is what this character wants from this other character. Yeah. Specificity is the key to good acting because the more specific you are, uh, the more ingrained it can be. And then the less you have to think about it once you're out of rehearsal. Um, Which is why it feels so weird to read these live. Right. (laughs) Um, But again, that's kind of fun because it lets us sort of audible into the work that we would be doing. But I think that, the objective here is Black wants Royal to prove himself. Black wants Royal to stand up to her in a way that isn't just, you know, flexing his inborn authority, because that clearly doesn't work for Royal in this scene. <laughs> um, I love this scene. And it, again, something else to talk to, one of the, you know, the art of acting comes into making these choices, and that's how you can see multiple people, you know, this is much more so in live theater than in film, for obvious reasons, but you can see the same play with a different cast, and it feels wholly different. My ideas of, had we been, had we parsed this out the other way, had I been voicing Black as we went through the scene, Dylan did a lot of things very differently than I would have chosen to. Not better or worse, just, like... When I was reading through it, I was hearing it in my head much more as, like, rather than going louder as it went bigger, going softer, uh, going into that, like, quiet intensity. But I feel that. like, Dylan decided to go bigger, and Dylan decided to get, I don't want to say get angrier, because that's not what he was doing, but, like... What I was going for was, I was, I was going for more condescension. Yeah. Uh, especially near the end. Yeah. Um... But yeah, I, uh, gosh, now I got to like go back into my mind and think what I was thinking as I was reading through, but (laughs) doing it live is weird. Um, Doing it live is really weird. Don't, don't do it live guys. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, just like, there's so much going on in the scene with black. Like she starts out, it's not even shaming at the beginning that line, you know, you're a sheltered child. You don't know rejection. Mm -hmm. It's almost like condescending is a really good one. I also think that like belittling, she's just like. Yeah. You are not nearly as big of a fucking deal as you think you are. Yeah. Um, And not only that, but you have actively, like, you are a fuck-up to all of those who you think worship you. Yep. God. And I love that. Does it frighten you? It should. I'd call you brave for confronting me if this wasn't the only way to the trains. (laughs) Yeah, just kind of... She negs him there. She's negging the messiah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh, Like, there's... I I think the thing for me is the reason why I was building up, like, more and more was just... This is Black... So, given circumstances, uh, the only thing that separates Black and Royal, actually, is that uh, Black had a botched operation, whereas Royal had a successful one. Yeah. That is the only thing that separates them. Also, what's that? Professor Wilson just slammed open the door to to baby drama classroom, and he's yelling, given circumstances are everything that the characters know going into a scene. Oh, right. Did we not cover shit? (laughs) I don't think we did. Uh, Well, given circumstances are that. (laughs) Yeah, given circumstances are uh, anything that a character knows going into the scene, which frequently is more than the audience knows going into a scene. Uh, And it's important to just sort of parse that out so that you know where your character's at in every scene. Uh, so you're not, you know, playing the end of the play at the beginning of the play. Go on. Exactly. Um, I think a a huge part of the action on screen right now is, you know, 
this isn't an objective, obviously, so don't take it as one. But, uh, you know, Black is kind of putting Royal in his place. Yep. <laughs> uh, and I feel like even if it's not, like, specific to tactic, I think it is specific to the character that she would be condescending to who is essentially a, a very spoiled brat. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, this this game is so cool. I I would be fascinated to see if he ever if there is ever like a remake of this game with voiceover, like what those actors choose, because there's a lot to mine in these scenes. Um, yeah, I I would love to see or head a fan dub for this oh, game. Oh yes, yes. If um, I ever had time. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah. Those were the three scenes we really wanted to get into. Again, there's a lot more that we could do. Uh, we could have spent all of this time on one of those scenes if we were doing a true like line by line breakdown, but that wouldn't necessarily be entertaining podcasting. Um, yeah, we just kind of wanted to give you an idea of like, here is the work that we do, kind of boiled down and kind of slap shot, yeah, uh, so that you can kind of, you know. Maybe next time you're playing a game like this, you can play along. Maybe next time you're watching a movie or reading a book, you can have this kind of thing ticking in your head, thinking about, oh, yeah, what are you the objectives thinking, here? What is the specific thing that this character is going after in this given line or scene or whatever? Yeah. Um, and I, I've learned that, like, since studying acting, like, I have appreciated films I would not have normally um, thinking about ca- the characters in such a specific line for line type of way yeah it it gives you a lot more appreciation for the work that's going on even if like the movie is not necessarily good like i can watch movies that as a whole are not very good but i can see moments of like oh man that was a really cool choice that actor made um yeah but we're gonna pseudo wrap up like i said we're gonna do this episode's probably gonna be long uh but we're wrapping up at around the normal time right here for anyone who doesn't want spoilers for Iconoclast. So if we have made this game sound fun, which it is, and you should all go buy it, it's super cool. It's on PC, uh, Switch, and I think PS4 and PS Vita. Dude, you played it on PS4, but yes, it is on PS4. No, I was PS4. I was saying I think PS Vita. I I mis- okay. I misplaced my I think. <laughs> <laughs> I talked um, for a living. Yes, yes um, it is on PC. It is on Switch. It is on uh, both modern Sony consoles. But you know. It, if you have it on yeah. Vita, like, I'm happy that you got one of the last games on Vita. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, this, <laughs> is, this is not sponsored at all. We just both really like this game, and we want to see more people play it because it's super cool, and I want the person who made it to be able to make more games. Um, but yeah, if you want to go play it, or if you, or if, or if you want to go play it and you care about spoilers, or if you don't care about... Let me try this again. Uh, all right, yeah, yeah. If you... <laughs> <laughs> I got lost. Uh, if you like what you heard so far, not necessarily our acting, but like the... <laughs> the uh... <laughs> Nobody like that. Oh, <laughs> uh, they hate me. Um, but, you know, like if you like the scenes or like the world that we were trying to present um, or even talk about, like if the way these characters interplay sounds interesting to you, I highly recommend you check it out. And uh, I feel like the next couple scenes we talk about will kind of ruin some of that magic for you. So we highly recommend you go out and play the game. If you have either already played the game or don't care, 
I guess you can keep on listening. Yeah, keep on listening. We're going to do a couple more scenes after we do our sort of plugs. So again, thank you so much for listening. We'll do a little bit more of this at the very end. Uh, big thank you to BioQuery for the use of our theme song, Dot Sound Radio Volume 1 Instrumentality. Go check him out at BioQuery.com. No, that's not right. Go SoundCloud.com. Go check him out. <laughs> go check him out at SoundCloud.com slash BioQuery. That's SoundCloud.com slash B-I-O-Q-U-E-R-Y. Um, also, if you like the wonderful art we have up on our site, and I believe our YouTube videos, yep. uh, you can thank our friend, Brendan French, and you can visit his uh, art site. You can visit his website at BrendanFrench.Squarespace.com. That is B-R-E-N-N-E-N hyphen French dot squarespace.com you can also visit us at our website which is bsgpod.com that's bsgpod.com uh there we've got our episodes direct from the source with download links so you can get us right there we update every monday you can also find bios about me and dylan there's a contact page you want to shoot us anything and i'm also working one on episode transcripts because accessibility is good and important and i want everyone to be able to listen to slash read our show so that's on the way but that's also a lot of work so i'm going to try and get that done as quick as possible item two because Mm. this episode you know might benefit from some supplementary material i'm going to be putting up a couple extra pages uh one with sort of like read-along sections so anytime we do an episode like this with you know scenes that we're breaking down we'll put transcripts of those up there and I think I'm also going to put, like, a glossary page so that we can, like, put up definitions of any of the jargon so, like, that we what... use. Yeah. So, like... Ah, uh, pale blood. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, but, yeah, so that'll have, oh, like, <laughs> definitions of, like, you know, the things we were talking about this ep- in this episode, tactics and objectives and recognition reversal and all of those things as we... Talk about oh, them, I thought I we were talking them... about the terms in Iconoclast, but oh no 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 no, right. no 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 <laughs> <laughs> no I'm talking theater jargon. Okay, that makes more sense. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. So glossary of just like the theater terms that we're throwing around, so that if someone comes in, you know, in three years when we're on episode 187 of this podcast, we won't have to keep like doing deep, uh, deep definitions of these terms. Um, Uh, And thank you to you, our lovely listeners, without whom we are speaking into the void. Uh, Please help us grow the podcast. Share it with your friends. Share it with your family. Scream it on the streets. Uh, (laughs) Find us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, though the Instagram is criminally underused. And we're getting a Tumblr working uh, slowly. Uh, Yeah, I've started it up. I need to start doing a more steady stream of content, but it is up. But yeah, search Backstage Gaming on any of those and you will find us. Uh, if you like the show, feel free to tweet about it at uh, using the hashtag, hashtag BSGpod. And again, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for listening. It means a ton to hear from people who are liking the show. Now, for you who are not afraid of spoilers or who simply don't give a shit and don't think you're going to play this game, bonus content! So, our first... Uh, spoiler-heavy scene. This is a scene that takes place late in the game. It is discovered that in order to figure out what is going wrong with the world, which is that a giant space worm is coming to eat it, (laughs) this game gets weird. 
I feel like that's a simplification of things, but yeah, let's keep like, rolling. <laughs> it's a simplification, but like, there's too much to go into, uh, yeah. while being entertaining in a podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of a lot of like tiny little clockwork things happen, and it builds to yeah. an apocalyptic situation. Yeah, a space worm that is God is coming to eat the planet, and in order to attempt to stop this, Royal and Robin need to go to the moon to talk to Godworm. Because, again, Royal is, for all intents and purposes, an oracle of sorts. This game is ridiculous, and I love it. It's so good. Um, and so they need to they need to get there, and in order to do that, Royal and Robin, like, fight their way to a rocket that will take them to the moon. And Mina and Elro, who are along for the ride, have to go to the uh, control room and the, both the launch hit, base. Yeah, yeah, both hit a button at the same time to launch the rocket. And on the way there, they both go through some shit. Elro goes through much worse shit. <laughs> like, Elro loses an arm in uh, the course of this adventure. I-, I think he does it before they storm this building, but yes. He Elro does, but he has recently been bereft of an recently... arm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Elro, you know, hasn't been really about this from the word go, and is at this point pretty fed up. Um, and He also is... kills Solid Snake. I forgot. That is that important. Happened. He kills Solid Snake with a green master sword. Good lord, this game. This game is so good. <laughs> anyway, that's where we, we start off in this next scene in the uh in the control room for the rocket launch. Elro, where are you? Come on, man. I don't want to be here. I want to go home. No computer say anything about Robin and Royal having done whatever they would do. Well, I sure have more faith in Robin's team. Come on, Elro. Oh, there you are. Oh, thank the ancestors. So, yeah, as Royal warned us, we're separated by this bank teller thing for whatever reason he said. I don't think we can press anything yet. Still waiting on those two. Royal is a unique little boy, but if this ends up saving us, I guess I'll get off his back. <laughs> Uh, more importantly, I'd be cool for helping save the world. I'd get all the action. <laughs> Are you okay? I hope Royal didn't send you through too much. Well, did he? Did they do it? Yes! It says I can launch! Awesome! You just need to press the button on the screen. Press yours, Elro. Did you hear me? We have to press it together or it won't work. Elro sits on the floor. What are you doing? Push the button, Elro. No. What is wrong with you? I'm not going to press a button that may as well just blow up that thing. Blow up? We are launching this thing, so just press the button. I'm not sending my little sister to the moon. It's ridiculous. We're all going home. Mina collapses to the floor, trembling. Elro... You've lost your mind. It's the end of the world. It's not just us. Why should we believe that? Because Royal said it? Robin wants it, Elro. Robin doesn't know what she wants. You don't know her. Push the button! Robin is in that rocket right now waiting for you, Elro. Yes. And that is why I'm going over there now to get her. What? You're not going to go anywhere. I've had enough of this. Mina pulls out her gun. No! 
You come right the hell back here. You'll shoot me otherwise? Uh, I'll do it. And I meant to push a button after I'm dead. Just shut up. I'll shoot your leg. What's that going to matter? It doesn't push the button. Push. The. Button. Goodbye, Mina. This trip is over. We're going home. No, Elro! Mina shoots Elro, who crumples to the floor. Elro? Elro, get back up! No. No, 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 no! Then we cut back to Robin and Royal still sitting in the rocket waiting for it to take off. Because... Fuck you, I guess. This also, scene... I peeked a couple times. Hopefully, we can do it's something okay. about I can, that. It's okay. I can, I can, I can futz with it. That's not a problem. Okay. <laughs> oh, this scene is so good. Uh, so I think this is this is the scene that like, I I was first thinking of when I when I mentioned we should do Iconoclast. It's so good. So again, we have very clear objectives in this scene. <laughs> Mina wants Elro to push the goddamn motherfucking button. Yep. Elro is harder to get to. Yep. Because Elro's goal at the beginning cannot be to leave. Because if his goal was to leave, he would not even come into the room. Yeah. Like, he comes in. Elro's actually really hard to parse in this. Mm. I think he wants Mina to agree with him. Yeah. Like, I think he wants to convince Mina that this is stupid. He wants to hear Mina agree with him that this is right. Okay, because, that, that's an interesting read. Because, like, otherwise, I don't know why he stays. I think maybe part of it is he wants confirmation that, like, Robin and Royal couldn't do it. And, yeah, I don't know. Because yeah, there's, like, no there's no way to confirm that. Yeah, it's it's a tricky... This is a tricky kind of scene. Any scene... Because, again, if a character threatens to leave, that is itself a tactic. Yeah. Because if all they wanted to do was leave, they would just walk out the door. So it can't be that. And the only thing I can think of, if I'm putting it in terms of the other person in the scene with him, who is Mina, all I can come to is he wants her to agree with him. He wants her to validate his feelings that this is all stupid. Yeah. Like, he thinks this, but I don't think he's convinced that he's right, and he needs to convince someone else that he's right I, so that he's sure of it. I think if Elro hears anyone else, including Mina, say, you're right, this is a bad idea, we should bail, that is all he needs to yeah. be able to convince Robin. And what is po uh, important to note Moments after this, the rocket does take off, so Elro does hit the button in the end. Actually, oh um, no! And this this is never this is never confirmed. Okay, but um, so, and again, this is technically a spoiler, but we already put the spoiler yeah, warning. Yeah, this is up. this is all spoilers. Um, so Elro has a coworker you might remember. Oh yeah, and at the end of the game, after you come back from the moon, you talk to her, and she says. You just need someone to push the button and push the buttons in like the red Zelda font, implying that she patched Elro up and then pushed the button. Oh, see, I'm I forgot that moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so you know, Elro never does it. Like even if he was patched up, like he doesn't. He does not do that. He does not 
let Robin do what she wants until the very end of the game after you beat the final boss, which we won't get into here. Yep. Um, which is also a really good little scene. Like, it's, yeah. The last thing Elro says in the course of the game as Robin comes home. It's also the last home, line I want to say. Yeah, I think you're right. As Robin gets home from having just saved the world and gone through so much shit, he just says, okay, I won't talk anymore. Get your rest. And she does. Yeah. Going forward. Uh, well, back to this scene I, at least. I, I wanted to go yeah. to uh, tactics real quick. But, yeah, of um, course. That's, that is so... what I meant to say. <laughs> yeah, it's all good. So when we start the scene, and the reason why I wanted to start from the beginning of Mina's, not monologue, but her kind of talking to herself, um, is that when Elro does come in, she tries to lighten the mood, I guess. Like, she's she's kind of joking around. She's like... Um, you know, Royal's weird, but, like, you know, he might actually pull through. Wouldn't that be crazy? And then, like, also just, like, you know, I'm gonna save the world, and then all the girls are gonna be all over me. And, you know, she's just, she's trying to, yeah, exactly. Uh, she's trying to, like, super lighten Hey, when we do the fandom, can I do Mina with this voice? Please do. (laughs) Gross. (laughs) Um. We are launching this thing, so just press the button. I'm Swamp uh, Man. Oh, please I'm don't done. do that. <laughs> I'm done. Yeah, no, but, this... Um, mm-hmm. And also, this is a fun example. Like, this is the only kind of monologue we have out of our selections today, and we could do a whole yeah. episode at some point about monologues, because there... There's another monologue in this game that we chose not to do, but yeah. there's one there, and it's pretty good. Oh, it's so good. Uh, if we ever do an episode on monologues, we'll probably come back to this game, because that... The one you... It's like Agent Black's final big scene, and she has Before this her, really like, good monologue. Yeah. Um, but monologues are always tricky because you have an objective, but there's no one else on stage for you to have the objective in terms of. So when we look at this, like, Mina... I think the, the thing I would come to here is Mina has no idea what's going on either. Mina yeah. is just as freaked out and just as unsure as Elro is, but she's leaning on the optimistic side. She's she's trying to establish a sense of camaraderie and fellowship between the two of them. Yeah. Because they've been on rocky terms since their first cutscene yeah. together. And before Elro comes in, I think that this monologue does a really good job of showing that, like, Mina is also very unsure, but then you look at the interactions and her, you know... She's unsure but hopeful, whereas Elro is unsure and hopeless. Yeah. Um, and I think that monologue does a really good job of setting that up. But yeah, then she just, like, Elro comes in and she just talks at him, and you see all these different, like, hey, Royal, su- Royal sure does suck, but I guess he's helping us out this time, right? And then there's, like, that pause, and then, are you okay? And, like, this moment of genuinely trying to reach out to this person yeah. that has not been the nicest to her. <laughs> Like, yeah, I I guess I I also should have pointed that out. Like, she's trying to establish camaraderie in different ways. She makes, you know, she belittles a mutual enemy of theirs because, like, neither of them are really fond of Royal. Um, Then she, you know, she tries, she makes, like, kind of lewd humor. Um, And then she shows actual genuine care and sympathy and then she's like, no, you, you need to push the button. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, like, it's a really good, clear escalation and very clear, like, 
this did not work, try something different. That did not work, try something different. Which, again, that's all an actor's doing. You find those yeah. beats, you find those moments of change, and you make them work. This yeah. seems so good. And, like, Elro, I hate him. Oh, uh, he's the worst. But man. he's also, like, maybe my favorite character. Yeah. Like, I despise the person in the game that is Elro. Like, he is he is very sympathetic, but never in a way that makes you actually, like, like him. You, like, I, I would argue in most of the cutscenes he's in, you're actively rooting against him. Yes. But he's the character that I most, like, like, either him or Black are the characters I would most want to, like, really dig into and really, like, get to perform as. Yeah. Um... But yeah, that scene is great. This last scene is very short. This yes. last scene is less of a scene and more of a set piece, a la... Uh, what we were talking about in Uncharted? Yeah, what we talked about with Uncharted the Musical a couple weeks ago. But it's also maybe the coolest scene I have ever seen in a game. And I am not exaggerating. I love this scene so much. So you go to the moon. You interact with Worm God. Uh... And oh my god. <laughs> what's up? No, nah, sorry. It, it like it it just hit me again. Yeah. Um like that we are talking about Royal is attempting to communicate with this creature and it like listens to him for a little bit and then starts to fly away starts to and leave. he throws a he throws a temper tantrum and hurts it with his magic ivory powers and the creature responds by bashing a hole in the glass of the moon base and zapping Royal with some kind of ray that like leaves him. He just crumples. Yeah. Like crumpled on the floor. And then you regain control of Robin and a countdown starts and you have three minutes to get off the moon. As you've been coming to this observatory where the worm God comes to, you pass through all of these different doors, uh, all of which open when Roy when Royal gets close enough to them. There's like a little sensor panel that Royal has access to. Yes. And so Robin throws Royal, like you walk over to Royal and you throw him on your back and you start walking back down the hallway, the very, very long hallway. Yes. Past all and these there's, doors. There's no puzzles. It's not like it's not like the ending sequence to a Metroid game where you have to race against time and like find the right way back to your ship. Yeah. Um it is literally just a hallway. It's a straight hallway. There's a couple blocks to jump over. And when you move close enough to a door with Royal on your back, the panel lights up, the door opens, you walk through. And that's yes. it. And as the time's clicking down and you're walking back, Royal has some lines of dialogue from your back. Things like, I'm not going to like act these because I just want you to think about them because they're presented as text and I want you to think about them as text. Yes. What have I done? Everyone hates me. I ruined everything. I should be dead. Let me die. Mother was right not to love me. Just say it. I should go die. We could finally be happy. And then you come to a seat, a board, because like you walk through a, a screen, screen goes black, loads up next screen, you walk in. Royal doesn't say anything. Yes. And you come to one of those doors, and the panel that lights up when Royal is near it 
has broken off the wall and is like dangling in the wind a good, you know, if I were to put it in feet, probably 10 feet back from the door. Yes. Uh, because of the air being pulled out of the chamber. So you're carrying Royal, you walk past the panel, and the door opens. But then when you walk to the door, the door closes again. Because you're too far away from you're the access panel. You're out of effective range. And so, yes, go ahead. I want to point out, there's a three-minute timer. It takes maybe 45 seconds to get to this point. So you still have at least two minutes yeah. left to figure out the How to solution get royal... to this puzzle. Yeah, because this is a puzzle game. You come across a lot of puzzles like this, and you have a lot... At this point, this is endgame. You have all kinds of tools. You've got a gun that lets you switch places with with whatever you shoot with it, if it's an enemy. You so have the, the entire like, thesis of this game is that you are a mechanic who uses tools to help fix people and fix people's problems. Yeah. So you've got like a wrench that you can charge up with an electro charge that activates certain kinds of switches. You've got the switcheroo gun. You've got uh, like if you have your electro charge going, you can shoot grenades that are charged with that electricity that can activate certain kinds of switches. The game has been prepping you all game with all of these different potential tactics. And you are going through, and you come to an obstacle. This panel that is farther away from the door than you can have it. And you can set Royal down and walk through the door and go see what's on the other side and see if there's anything over there. And time is ticking down, and time is ticking down. The switcheroo gun doesn't work on Royal. Charging your wrench doesn't work on the panel. The solution to the puzzle is that you have to leave Royal behind. You can't fix him. You cannot solve this problem with your tactics. And you can try as hard as you can. The game gives you a solid two minutes of time to try as hard as you can to solve this puzzle. You have to leave him to die. You, as the player, have to have the recognition that you cannot solve this puzzle. And you have to reverse your, ta your objective and leave Royal behind. And your reward for this... I timed this cutscene. There is a 25-second yes. cutscene of Robin sitting in Just the escape sitting. pod alone. And there's a flash of light from below as the base explodes. For 25 seconds. <laughs> Just silent, like, letting you silently stew in the actions of what you've done. And now, Chris, I, I wanted to bring this up now because yes, now please. that we've established this... There is a very similar segment in Final Fantasy VI where uh, midway through the game, you're in a dungeon and, you know, it is it is the point of no return where, like, the stakes get really, really high. Um, the I cave. It, the cave, yeah. But, like, it, it ex I'm trying to think of, like, a game example that you might know. Ocarina of Time. Um, mm -hmm. It is Ganondorf has now entered the Sacred Realm and he has the Triforce. Gotcha. And so the dungeon is collapsing, and it is a dungeon that is up in the sky. And spoilers for Final Fantasy VI, by the way. Eh, that um, game's like 20 years old. I think that we're game good. is as old as we are. So Oof. you guys needed to have gotten on that train a while ago. But anyway, um, so you're in a dungeon in the sky, and you're on your way back to the airship, and you've made it back to the airship but you have one party member who was holding off the bad guy who still hasn't rejoined your party. And so, unlike Royal, 
if you wait for the last five seconds, he comes back to the party and you do not leave him to die. You can still leave. Oh, no. be- yeah, you can still leave before then. And then when you, you know, when you're in the uh, shop in the game and you're like, why am I still getting equipment for this character? Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> like, you you might have that realization or you might have Nintendo Power, which spoils it for you. But, <laughs> you know, you, you can wait and the game will be like, all right, you've been patient enough. You've been waiting right next to the exit for this character. Here he is. Yeah. Iconoclast pulls no such punch. Yeah. Iconoclast that... does not give you that luxury. <laughs> yeah, like that sequence, again, I'm not exaggerating, is one of my favorite scenes I have ever had the privilege of playing through. (laughs) Like, every now and then you'll get a game that delivers a moment like that where you are playing the story in a very real way. It's not frequent. Even games that are really good and even games that really deliver on very powerful stories rarely manage to tap into, like, letting you play that kind of moment and when it happens it is super special and it's super cool and like the fact that they build a recognition and reversal into the scene that the player has to have to complete the game like a plus well done iconoclast well done konjak like dang um Um, i want to ask a question real quick because i haven't played this game yes um so spoilers for bioshock Mm -hmm. uh so I guess you can stop listening now if you somehow haven't played Bioshock <laughs> like me. But um, so the would you kindly scene where you kill Andrew Ryan, is mm-hmm. the control still in the player or is that like a cutscene, like taking away your agency? It is limitedly interactive. Okay. You pull the trigger trigger to kill him. Okay, but... that's what I figured it was. So is it like uh, the ending of Metal... Sorry, I'm just spoiling all the games. <laughs> Is it like, well, I guess I guess there's no way to talk around this. Is it like the ending to Metal Gear Solid Three, which I uh, just remembered you haven't played? I've where seen you play it though. Ro- yeah, you're rooted in place until you do the prompt. Yes. Okay. So. So like yes and no. I think the the cool. I guess you know, g- getting back to the main heart of the topic, the the cool thing about leaving Royal to die is that you are still in full agency as both the player and Robin. It is not a cutscene. There is not a prompt that says "Leave Royal to die." Yeah, no, it's um, it's all in game. Presents you play. a puzzle. Yeah, the game is presenting you a puzzle that you think I have to be able to find a solution to this. Like I have to fix the panel, or I have to jam the door open, or something. Switch places but, with Royal so that he's on the other side, close to the electro panel, or whatever. Yeah, but there isn't one. Yeah, oh, it's so good. And the fact, my favorite thing about this, you can wait it out. You can be like, no, no, this this can't be right. This can't be real. I'll just wait. I'll let the timer run down, and then you get the game over screen. Yeah. There is a correct way forward, and it is leaving him behind. And it's so good. So, yeah. Uh, like, that, I lost sleep over that moment, and I'm not afraid to say that. It's so good. It's, like, seriously... Go play this game. It's like, incredible. You know, we've spoiled one of the biggest moments, but like honestly, if nothing else we've said has sold you, like hopefully that has. At least yeah. like look up a playthrough. It's of one this thing game. to hear us talk about it. It's another entirely to experience it after, you know, 
close to 10 hours of time spent in this world. Um, Time for our actual wrap-up. This episode has gone very long if you stayed with us past the commercial break, so thank you for sticking with us on that. Uh, We already plugged all of our major social media and everything, so please just tell your friends, tell your family, plug the show. Hashtag BSGPod on Twitter. Help my creature grow! (laughs) Sorry. Like, I know you were going for Rita Repulsa, but that was not her. (laughs) I know it was not her. Sorry. Let my creature grow. Yeah, that that's right. That's, <laughs> that's what Rita Repulsa sounded like. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been Backstage Gaming. I'm Chris. I'm Dylan. And thank you so much for joining us. Bye. Take care. Bye.